What's up, guys? Four Corners back with another episode. I am your host, Ray. You can find me online at Rayvon Hackshaw. Joined by Peter, Bucketsons88. What's going on? What's up, Ray? Um, you know, we're, we're in a good spot. I mean, we're in the second round. Only eight teams still left in the playoffs. So, you know, these, these series have an interesting way of unfolding. And, uh, you know, ups and downs. But since last time we talked, Nuggets win an ugly game two at home. Uh, you know, lose a lose a very different game three. But uh, excited to talk about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I can confirm it's the end of the world. No, it's not. It's fine. <laughs> We're going to be okay. Um, joined as well for this kind of three-minute week this week is uh, Gordon Glazner. What's going on? Not much. Just watching the Nuggets. Of course, of course. How is your spring going? So far, so good. Yesterday, I had my first coaching duties for my six-year-old son's soccer team. So, not sure how my voice is going to hold up after that. That's okay. That sounds like a lot of fun. I feel like uh, I have fond memories of kicking other children in the shins in uh, peewee soccer. <laughs> yeah, my son's a little rough for the game, so I'm hoping to get into American football for a long Gordon, where are you joining it's us It's okay. From Maybe today? you can kind of... I'm in Winnipeg, uh, Canada right now. All right. Nuggets International. That's right. But I'm not nice, Canadian. I'm nice. from Colorado. Okay. <laughs> Colorado's like cool. travel. We do. Big, big, a uh, lot of airline hubs, I feel like, in Colorado. Did you just say we? Are you Colorado now? Well, I guess you are. You live there. I am the only person living in Colorado here. So. Colorado, uh, you got me on that one. Dang I'm it. in Colorado now. <laughs> I don't know. That is a weird, that is an interesting thing to say. Like, when I say um, we and, like, what is home, it is. It's become this uh, blended thing where, for me, home is also Maryland, but home is also Wheat Ridge. So it's what like. What's your license plate say? It's, it's still Maryland. Oh. Um, <laughs> just anyway, my license, um, Colorado. I mean, anyway, I, I'm not. That's a good question. <laughs> it's something to think about. Is like where who Working where am I? Membership who am I? Status. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, so Nugget Suns two one. Yeah, they could have they could have won that game. I feel like uh, it would have been nice. But at you the same time, I think we first? can. Uh, yeah, yeah. I actually do want to talk about game two and three. Um, but before we do that, I kind of want to talk about Gordon a little bit more. Uh, yeah. So Gordon. First things first, as we, uh, anytime we bring in a new guest to the show and to our audience, we kind of want to ask you a bit about yourself sure. uh, and just tell us about you and, and your background and, and maybe how you became uh, a Nuggets fan. Okay, so I was raised in the country in southwest Colorado out uh, near Cortez, between Cortez and Durango oh, uh, in the mm-hmm. 1960s, 1970s. And, you know, we were huge Broncos fans there because you can't get Denver TV in Southwest Colorado back in those days, you got Albuquerque TV. Albuquerque carried the Broncos games, but didn't carry the Nuggets games. So when the Nuggets mm-hmm. started to be a really hot offensive team, we all wanted to listen to it. The only way you could hear the games was on AM radio, and the only radio good enough to get it was the one in your car. So in that December 13th highest scoring game in history, me and two of my friends were huddled in a car on a gravel road listening to that game in that cold car for about three and a half hours 
So that was when I really, really started to be a Nuggets fan back in the, you know, Kiki Vandeweghe, Alex English um, sort of era when they were when they were super high flying wow. offense. Nice. Yeah, that's a really that's, cool that's real I, I think uh, Ice Skate guys got some competition. <laughs> yeah. So I I remember that. Remember the that was the uh, Detroit Pistons before they were a defensive juggernaut. They were an offensive team, right? With Isaiah Thomas, they were really a high scoring team, and then they became defense. Because back in the seventies and eighties, it wasn't the same kind of game. I mean, you'd get the ball, dribble down the ball, shoot the ball, or dunk the ball, and then they'd get the ball, go down the court and shoot or dunk that was it there wasn't this kind of complex setups they have now um where people had to really be more cerebral it was all a high skill high athleticism kind of game yeah that's that is interesting i feel like um some people would say that this <laughs> that there's too much isolation in today's game so it's that would be interested to like just be in a different era and see how that that compares um, and I feel like that's a big commitment just in terms of watching, listening to that game in the cold. I feel like it reminds me of times I've gone with my friends camping and we like, you know, have to like huddle together and um, <laughs> right. sub freezing temperatures just because we come unprepared. Oh, but it's kind of that bonding thing that I Because you couldn't be think. in the garage because it wasn't a heated garage and it was cold. You'd have to run your car and you'd die of CO2. People, so you had to drive out into the into the road to be able to listen to it. Yeah, that's cool. Um, nice. So, Gordon, the way you describe uh, basketball in the seventies, it sounds like uh, Russell Westbrook would love that. <laughs> oh, a lot of the players today would have been really, really good at it, of course. And and you know, Westbrook can can take the kind of physicality of it, but it's just a completely different kind of game back then. Um, not to say that the yeah. players then wouldn't have been just as good now. It's just a, it's just such a different game. Hmm, for sure. Did you have a favorite player or maybe one that you think from that era would do well in today's game or even vice versa? Uh, yeah, Michael Jordan. <laughs> no. Uh, Larry yeah. Burke would have been great. Magic Johnson, they both would have would have really thrived in today's game, I think, with the way they played. But they were they were really the vanguard of of starting to be these floor generals um, that we saw back in the 50s and 60s, and then it sort of disappeared with these isolation, extremely skilled athletic players who could put up 40 or 50 points and then start to come back again in the 80s, right? So there's been sort of a waveform of, of skill skill and tactician versus athleticism, right? Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. There's something to think about. I... So to get back to... Uh, so game two, I feel like Denver won pretty handily but i think obviously not as close as game one peter what was your um initial reaction after that game or just as you were watching it um things that you noticed maybe that phoenix adjusted to uh after the first game that maybe continued on into game three well i thought it was a really gritty team win i think the main thing that they did differently was they tried to take away jamal murray and they mostly succeeded i mean i thought it was you know he he's not always super honest about how he plays. I mean, he um, he said he was just missing shots, you know, which he was. But I I feel like he doesn't really ever like to give the defense credit for being like they did a good job on me. So that was like the main difference and the reason it was closer. But I think the really good thing for us was the fact that you know KCP hit some really big time shots, and 
I think when a game gets tight, especially in the playoffs, oftentimes you think about, okay, we need our stars to take us home because everybody else is just kind of like running around, playing defense, trying not to screw up. But KCP is is such a good role player, man. I mean, he's he won a championship before, so I really think that helps his confidence. And he had absolutely no hesitations in those, those shots, Ray. I mean, he had two big-time three-pointers from the left side. And, you know, he was the least surprised person in the building that he hit those. So, you know, sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes you need you need guys to step up, you know, when it's – I don't want to say least expected. I mean, that's why we brought him in. But, but I don't think he's usually plan A when it comes to how you're going to beat your opponent. But, you know, give the Suns credit. They, they, they did play more physical like they said they would. And uh, the Nuggets were able to take the punch. And, you know, they, they won an ugly game mostly with defense and physicality. So it was good to see them win in a different style. And I feel in previous years, we wouldn't have won a game like that, right? We come out, do the high-flying offense kind of thing that we love to do. Second game, and it's gritty, almost borderline violent, hard defensive game. And I think earlier on, that would have cracked Denver, but they didn't. I mean, they stuck with it. And it was, I mean, we remember, you know, we look at the score and think, oh, this is a, an easy enough win. But remember, it wasn't until the very end that we really put some distance between us at Phoenix, and that tells you a lot. At the very end, we were the ones that had the energy and the passion to to get it done. Um, and I think it was and to, to win two games were so completely different because Phoenix changed things up so much. Really says a lot about the versatility and and ability of of the Nuggets to adapt. Yeah, I, I think that is. Um... You know, one of the things I was really impressed by, like personally, is that Denver has done their best over the last few years to kind of integrate a lot of different talent into their team, you know, between Jamal, between Michael Porter uh, and, and Jokic. And I feel like to watch them be able to win a game where, you know, Michael Porter has five points. <laughs> and uh, Jamal Murray doesn't have the best game, 10 points to his name as well. Um, but for Denver to still be able to have that flexibility in, in terms of options, um, to be able to you know ride the back of a Nikola Jokic, of an Aaron Gordon, of KCP in this case, who I think has, you know, I know he's just a role player for Denver, and he mostly is a defensive guy, but I also have garnered a lot of respect for him over the course of the season just as I, I think he just has more I don't want to say he has more to his game than we realize in the sense that he's gonna he could be some 30 point per game score on another team but I do think he's a lot better he's very responsible with the ball I think he's very comfortable making quick decisions uh, and a lot of it, I think, is his kind of background coming into the league as a point guard and having the ball in his hands a bit more when he was younger. I think he can still step into that in moments. And, but he's been able to really pick and choose that in, in a way that I really appreciate. Yeah, and keep in mind, for a lot of the season, he was leading the league in three-point percentage, right? So he was a big part of the yeah. offense early on. Well, and Ray, you're 100% right about the he can do more because – other guys on the team have literally talked about that. I, I forget if it was Jamal or MPJ or somebody, but they were basically like, hey, we play against this guy, you know, 
one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three in practice, and he's got all kinds of moves and stuff. But, you know, when it comes to NBA, he really buys into his role and is like, I'm out here to play defense and hit open shots. I'm not I'm not afforded to, you know, take all these extra dribbles and, you know, take 20 shots a game. That's just not his role in the Nuggets. But he plays his role to perfection. You know, Nuggets finished first place in the West, and KCP was a big part of that. Yeah, and AG sure. as well. I mean, we have two really strong role players. You look at the starting five. There isn't another NBA team out there, possibly the Celtics, that have the mixture of skill and and people being able to go into their bags and, and do things like the five that we have. And now we have a couple of really, really good bench players suddenly in the last month that we didn't expect. So I'm very optimistic. Absolutely. And and Big Waz said this on DNVR the other day. He thinks that the, the Nuggets offense is the best unit in the NBA. I agree with that. I mean, the question with this team has always been, is the defense going to be good enough? And I think through uh, eight playoff games now, they've yep. really only had two bad halves. You know, the third quarter against Minnesota game two, where they, I mean, they gave up like 40. And then that first half last night. But for the most part, the Nuggets defense has been up to the challenge. Right. You know, the interesting thing is in playoffs, by far the strongest net rating of any team in the playoffs is the Nuggets in the third quarter. We own the third quarter of this in this uh, playoffs, which is, you know, historically our horrible quarter, right? Got to get really ready well. for staff, yeah, making the adjustments. Yeah. Of course, the downside, yeah. we haven't been that great in the fourth quarter, which is usually our good quarter. Yeah, that is something to think about. Um, how do you, Peter, I'm curious how you feel about, you know, the Aaron Gordon swap to the five that Denver has made throughout this playoffs uh, that he has kind of tried to uplift their bench unit. I think it's mostly been good. I mean, I know the numbers bear that out. Um, it's definitely been good from a switch perspective. Like the defense, I think, is clearly – um, more on the same page because you got him and Jeff Green as the bigs, and then it's usually Christian Brown with Bruce and either KCP or Jamal, mostly Jamal because you got we want a point guard. And I think it's been solid. the The biggest concern with it is the rebounding. I mean, Gordon's not a bad rebounder, but you're just undersized when your your center is six eight, and then the power forward is also six eight. So it's kind of got to be a full team effort. Um. Last night wasn't the best. Uh, Jocko Handale, he's really like, he seems to have like this extra gear. He just has so much energy and physicality that he was kind of a nuisance all night for the Nuggets. So I'm sure he'll he'll get game planned a little bit more going forward. Um, but overall, I'm okay with it. I would like to see the offense be a little better. I'm sure we'll we'll transition into that because I know you have some thoughts on Jamal Murray. Um, I, I wish that that unit was able to be a little more cohesive. But at the same time, you know, they didn't get to play at all during the regular season with this lineup. Malone's been saving it for the playoffs. So it worked at first. I think, you know, Monty probably made some adjustments. And now it's like they need to sort of regain their rhythm to get better to at least being able to tread water when Jokic isn't out there. Yeah. Um, I mostly agree. The thing I'm really concerned about, I guess, just after these last two games is that I think with Jock, it's a little 
I don't want to say they need more size, but I wonder how they, maybe this is what I'm curious about more. So do they add more size in terms of forwards? Or are they still going to rock AG at center and maybe add in a Zeke Naji uh, along with Jeff Green or maybe replace Jeff with someone else? Or would they consider maybe going back to another center between DeAndre Jordan or Thomas Bryant? I know those two guys are kind of they do have the size, I think, to match Jock Landale, but I wonder if Malone trusts them in the same way. I don't think we're going to see any changes in the lineup at this point. It's been working too well. I mean, even last night, we would have won that game nine times out of ten. And people don't just usually hit 80% and even higher than 80% from the two, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's possible. Um, I'm, I'm always curious, but, but I do kind of agree, especially with Michael Malone. I think he's the kind of guy who is... Um, he believes in the sense that he runs and, you know, he's willing to give them the space to work out the issues before he wants to make any adjustments. So that that's something to think about and, and kind of getting to that point about the offense. I, I, I want to take a break real quick, but then on the other side, we will come back and kind of talk about that in the way uh, probably going to touch on Jamal, but I think also on some other players, especially for both Phoenix and Denver and how, they've adjusted their approach to uh, scoring the basketball. So we will see you in a minute. And we are back. So a lot of, I think game three in general in this series was always going to be the point at which we start to discover the character of what it's ultimately going to be like where phoenix gets to be at home where phoenix's role players get an opportunity to sleep in their own beds and and vice versa where you know it's a real test for the kcps the bruce browns the um aaron gordons the other guys the christian browns uh, in terms of can they produce on the opposing team's floor and how uh, phoenix can make adjustments for how to have a healthier offense i think the their biggest issue through the first two games was the amount of redundancy in just excessive mid-range shots which can certainly win you a lot of games especially when you have the caliber of players that devin booker and kevin durant are i think in this one you know the main thing that i see and point out and think about is that especially for kevin durant i think attacking the rim became a really high priority in this one where while he similarly didn't have the best shooting game of his life um he what he did do is earn a literal smorgasbord of of free throws uh 14 of 16 from the line and i think that was big for him both in getting denver in foul trouble but also in terms of just having a healthier offense and garnering more quality looks um peter i'll start with you so how do you feel like maybe you want to talk about kevin Durant, or maybe you want to talk about other things how do you feel like phoenix has adjusted to denver uh and made changes offensively to maybe be a little bit more effective yeah kevin durant definitely attacked the basket more that was a point of emphasis for him um 
you know, he mentioned it after the game too. And, and JJ Reddick pointed this out on the broadcast. He's, he's like, you know, as, as good as the Nuggets defense has been in the playoffs, the way their roster is set up, you know, Jokic, he's, he's not a shot blocker, right? The Nuggets don't really have a shot blocker, you know, AG and Mike have some hops, but they're not exactly, you know, they don't average over a block a game, you know, they can block here and there, but they're not, they're not like preventing guys from going to the rim because they're scared or anything. And uh, yeah, it was more concerted by by him to get to the line. And uh, you know, he's a great player. It's really frustrating to watch sometimes because you feel like your guys are playing good defense, and there's just not a lot you can do. You know, he's got this he's got this really elite blend of quickness with touch, but also because he's so slight, a lot of his fouls drawn. I feel like. I don't want to go as far as say the BS, but it's like it feels like Gordon's there. But because Durant initiates and then goes and looks super off balance and goes flying, they call a foul. I guess it's a foul, but it, it just kind of feels like a foul that probably wouldn't get respected pickup hoops. <laughs> but by NBA letter of the law, I guess it's a foul. So I think the Nuggets have done a pretty decent job on Durant this series. I mean, he still didn't have a good game for them before. I'm much more concerned with the way we guard Devin Booker which is we just choose not to guard him at all, apparently. I mean, he had 47 points, 20 for 25 from the field. And I felt like the only tough shot he hit all night was the one where Jeff Green was switched on to him. He gets kind of in the lane, does a pump fake. Jeff doesn't bite, so he has to shoot a fadeaway, and he hit that over him. Everything else, like Devin Booker is one of the best mid-range players I've ever seen. He might be the best. I mean, when he gets to his spot from like 16 feet in, and he rises up and he knows you can't block it. It just seems like a layup for him. And, you know, that was really frustrating how easy it was for him. But the two most frustrating plays to me were the, the two walk-up threes. He just, like, walked right into these wide-open dribbling threes. And I know he's not the best three-point shooter in the world, but these are NBA players. Like, you can't just give them walk-up threes. And the fact that Devin Booker had 47 points and this was still a close game in the fourth quarter – gives me hope, you know, like Gordon mentioned earlier, he thinks nine times out of 10, we win that game. I guess I felt like the, the Suns were the more desperate team. You know, they were like a 10 out of 10 effort wise. They treated it like a game seven. I thought the Nuggets were like at about eight. So the, you know, game four is going to be huge. Obviously, is this going to be a long series or a short series? And I think if the Nuggets can just match the Suns intensity and effort level and, and play a little bit smarter, I'm still confident going forward. Yeah, I was happy with that game yesterday. Actually, I mean, if you you can you can break down details, but when you step back and look at the zeitgeist of the game, it was a Herculean effort by both their superstars. And I had said going in that they'd have to score seventy points between the two of them to have a chance. And I was wrong. If they'd scored seventy points, we would have won, right? They scored eighty-six between the two, and I just don't think it's something going to happen. That's going to happen again. I mean, we, we had in some cases poor defense on on Booker on the other hand there was one shot he went in and three people collapsed on him and he stepped back and did a fadeaway jumper went right in right now there's this no nothing you can do about something like that it's it's the kind of thing that Jamal Murray did in the previous playoffs and I I just don't think they're going to be able to do that over and over and that's the only thing they can do they only have the ability to have their two superstars go absolutely nuclear Whereas we have many ways to beat them. We didn't match their intensity. We were the first time on their court. They were 
absolutely panicked and knew that this was a, a, the only shot they had to, to have any chance. And we still had it within. We could have won in the last two minutes. So I just, I, I, I was pretty encouraged by the whole thing, actually. Yeah, uh, I, I am as well. I, even my, so I can lay out probably my deepest criticism maybe of last night was probably the late game execution by uh, by Jamal in, in particular. I mean, I think that the way his game functions, obviously it's built and catered and shaded more towards the playoffs and doing well in that context where in the playoffs the value of tough shot making is of the utmost importance and i do still agree with that i think that's really important to keep in mind at the same time i think jamal just got a little too maybe just a little too aggressive a little too assertive a little too wrapped up in being the guy in this instance Right. When Jokic was having the game that he had, where I felt like every time, you know, uh, if you get the ball out of your hands quickly, Jamal, you know, Jokic's going to get it back to you if you're open. He still believes in him, and I still believe in him. Um, I think Michael Porter as well, I, I think, did a great job, particularly in the fourth quarter, of even when pressured, looking and hunting for quality shots uh not just settling for the a tough look but also you know that great dunk he had on kevin durant i think was a great example of that that he even when it's this high leverage moment even when being pressured he says okay i can still get Jokic the ball i don't need to uh create the shot all on my own even though i am talented like jamal is that talented mike is that talented uh and it's kind of reward them where if they continue to appreciate and value each other, I think as players, the game is just going to be that much easier for them, especially in crunch time. Um, and, and all that is to say, that's just a stylistic change. That's just like a slight um, mild decision in, in, in that you can make and that that is a lot more easy, a lot simpler, I should say, than what I think a lot of teams are facing right now is that they're at a personnel deficit that when you think about the Suns and you think about a lot of other teams is that they're looking at, well, we don't really have an answer for this. or we don't really have a player who fits this mold or does this thing that we really need. How do we find that and how do you replicate that? And how do we like synthesize that out of nothing? Basically, I don't think that's Denver's problem. They just need to execute a little bit better. And I think they that's that's a really easy thing to do. You can watch a little bit of film, uh, recognize where you can make some different decisions. And, um, you know, I think going forward with that, the shots are going to fall. So I, I'm really optimistic that the Nuggets can win game four. And if they do, I, I think that goes a long way towards maybe closing this game out in, you know, five, six games. I hope um, so. You hope I so? Mean, you're, you're not you're super confident? Well, I mean, I think one thing I've always really admired and respected about Jokic is he doesn't ever get caught up in the, this guy's having a phenomenal game. I need to match him. Like he always just mm -hmm. plays the rhythm of the game, like the way they're playing him. So he had a triple-double last night. He didn't have a crazy scoring output, but 
he had a career high assist game. So the Nuggets offense was okay. Um, but to pinpoint one thing a little more that I didn't like, I've never been a fan of transition three-pointers. I just think it's a very high-risk, high-reward play. Um, to me, I mm-hmm. thought there were a couple times in the game where the Nuggets had some opportunities to cut the lead to like four or three even, and they they missed some threes. And when Aiton was out of the game, I would have I, I would wish they would have attacked more. I just didn't think the Nuggets attacked quite as much as they could have last night. Um, you know, I think part of it was Gordon was maybe a little tired. Um, but I just thought they, I thought they settled a little too much, you know, not just Murray, but I think Porter, I mean, that's mostly his game is threes, but when he was attacking last night, he was scoring. Um, KCP didn't really hit his shots. It it was just one of those games. I thought the offense was a little out of rhythm, a little off and the Suns were really physical, you know, give the Suns credit. But, uh, I would just like the, I'd like to see the Nuggets come out with a little more purpose on offense because I think when they're really physical and they make Durant and Booker work on that end, that helps them. It helps pay dividends in the fourth quarter, and hopefully those guys start missing. That is one yeah. criticism I have. I think is they're not they're not bringing MPJ in as much as they should, right? And 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 Murray is playing a little bit too much here. About you know what happens? He wants to have a shootout with any other guard that's doing well. And Booker was just going absolutely out of his mind last night. So I think Murray felt this pressure to try to sort of equal that kind of production. He just couldn't. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of a double-edged sword in a way that you love that about Jamal. It's hard. It's hard to talk about it, for at least for me, because I think the best parts of Jamal as a player are his resiliency are his tough shot making are his willingness to in the highest pressure situations be willing to go toe-to-toe with some of the most elite players in the league and at the same time where that can lead is often um in less than ideal i think quality basketball where I love, I love that he can make tough shots. I would love it if they could also, just in their regular offense, garner some shots that are just a little bit easier. Um, you know, I would love that they shoot just an open three or a shot at the rim. You know, those things are really nice. Uh, as much as the, you know, the step backs, um, the sort of double reverse pivots kind of situations, I love it. It's really impressive. It's just finding that balance, I think, is the thing for him. But I'm really optimistic. I mean, he can – he trusts Jokic. He trusts, uh, I think, his teammates. And I think over time, the fact that Michael Porter is continuing to remain positive, remain active in all facets of the game lead me to believe that he's also not going to quit on the team. That, you know, when you look at some other teams around the league, you oftentimes have guys who maybe they're not being the focal point in the way that they want to be. It can lead to some interpersonal conflict. And I think I think about DeAndre Ayton in this context as well, that, you know, he's not a guy who I think is taking as many shots as he could be for various reasons. and that's been something that's been difficult for them to navigate but i really appreciate mike's maturity in that way so that they have time 
you know, that they can't figure it out, that there is going to be another day and that um, I don't have this concern that Mike is going to quit on the team for some reason or feel like like untoward in that way. That's that's all. I feel really I feel really pretty good about this game in just in that sense that they can play a lot better, that there are a lot of ways that they can play better, both in terms of if you're going to play that game of I'm going to take a lot of these tough shots, he can probably get more of those shots next time. And that if you make a little better decisions here and there, you can probably get easier shots to hit. You can play a lot better defense. You can contend for rebounds. I think a lot better. Jock Landell doesn't have to dominate the game. <laughs> that would be nice, you know. But the fact that there are all these outlets that don't even include personnel changes, um, I what I'll say is I'm really optimistic. And and Gordon, I'll ask you kind of a similar thing. So how do you look at Game Four? Do you expect? Do you expect meaningful changes from Denver and? If not, do you feel like just playing their game but a little bit better is enough to get that win? So, for one thing, if you if you look at the statistics, if one team is much better than the other, so if a one team has a 70% chance of winning any given game, it still has less than a 50% chance of winning two in a row. So I, I think watching these three games, it's clear that Denver is significantly better than the Suns. Uh, the Suns took one game. They, they had an amazing effort, I think, in most cases, given everything we did last night, no changes, we would usually have won that game, right? Um, I think KCP has to step up and do a better job guarding Booker. Uh, I think if Murray relaxes a little bit and starts feeding the ball off and doesn't get so tight in the fourth quarter, because he could smell a win, and he, all I have to do is just start making, you know, I'm just going to make, 15 points this quarter, and we got the win. And he just got really hero ball obsessed. That was a mistake, I think. But to be honest, I think if they didn't make any change at all and did the same game, and we scored 114 points in Phoenix, that's usually going to be enough to win, given the, the limitations of the Suns with the, with the only having two superstars to do anything. So I don't think they'll make major changes. Um, I'm hoping that Murray does a better job of getting his, his shots that they involve MPJ more and that KCP opens up his, his defense a little bit. But other than that, I don't think they need to make any major changes. Uh, how about you, Peter? Do you feel like Denver needs to, or will make any meaningful changes in terms of uh, maybe maybe schemes, scheme things, or just like maybe lower tier personnel shifts in terms of minutes or assignments? I don't think he's going to make any personnel changes. I mean, if he feels like Gordon is gassed, maybe he'll go to Zeke or DeAndre or Thomas Bryant. Probably not Thomas Bryant. But I feel like you could try him against Jock Landale. Um, I'm not expecting it. I would just like to see them trap Booker earlier. Just get the ball out of his hands. I mean, there were so many plays last night where Booker made a decent pass out of the double team, and then it was like, TJ Warren or Landry Shamit at the elbow turning the ball over or getting swatted by Aaron Gordon or like Christian Brown. It was kind of hilarious how unprepared the Suns <laughs> were for that. And so what you want is the other guys to beat you. And I, I get it. I get that there's the 
whole like, well, we don't want it to make it easier on the Suns role players and let them get him rhythm. At the same time, Devin Booker shot 80% from the field. So even if you get the ball out of his hands, I don't think the Suns role players are going to shoot 80%. If they shoot 55%, it's fine. You know, like, like Gordon said, we scored enough points to win the game. It was, you know, sometimes you just got to tip your cap. I mean, the Nuggets, you know, got outplayed by the Suns superstars. They showed up. Are they going to have the energy to do that again? You know, Durant will probably shoot better next game. It'd be crazy if he didn't, but they, they got to hold Booker under 40. I don't feel like that's a lot to ask. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, a lot can change over the next couple of days. So, so I'm pretty. We'll see what happens. That, that's what I'll say. I'm not going to assume anything, but we will Ray, see what there's happens. There's one like other sort of story plot line here that we haven't really talked about at all. DeAndre okay. Aiden didn't really do anything last night. There was a couple of videos of him going back to the bench and Chris Paul like going for a high five and he didn't dap him up he left him hanging and then apparently he like ducked out early and didn't talk to media so you know we've known that Aiden has kind of an icy relationship with his head coach and with his teammates so if he's if he's mentally wavering about this team that's great news for the nuggets you know we don't want to speculate and like count on that but at the same time things aren't all rosy over there even though they won the game last night yeah I um I'm curious Gordon. I don't think Aiden's happy there. <laughs> yeah. That that sums it up. I'm like, Gordon, what do you think about DeAndre Aiden in this situation? I feel like uh six I think six shot attempts for him last night. That's you know, I can commend him for being um willing to do that for them at the same time. I think it's hard for when you're a player as talented as he is, as touted as he was coming into the league, to be relegated in that way. So that for them, it, I think it is, if I had to imagine what Denver, if I'm an opposing team and I'm playing against the Denver Nuggets and I'm wondering what is the uh, interpersonal sort of uh, wrinkle that I can pick at the most. I might say like it's goading Jamal Murray into like inefficient shots for the Phoenix Suns. I think it's DeAndre Ayton and, and kind of uh, exposing that relationship and uh, challenging the Suns to embrace him because it seems like they don't want to. That, you know, between Devin Bucker and Kevin Durant, they aren't two players who are exactly eager to say, let me work with another seven-footer when my favorite shots are in the mid-range anyway. I think that's going to be a challenge for them. And um, so, so Gordon, I'll ask you this. How do you think, how do you think Denver can do that? Like, what is the best approach to, is it just, um, is it just winning? Is it, or is it? Do you think it's some sort of? Uh, is it a conversational thing? Do you think Aaron Gordon can get under his skin in some way, or, or do you feel like this is just something that maybe the Suns are just bound to struggle with on their own? So, to some degree, I think he already has, right? Um, but I, it looks to me like it's already been done. Okay? He's he's not 
playing as hard as he should. He's not he's not acting happy there. He loves Jokic. I think that that may part, be part of the problem, right? That Jokic is his hero. Um, mm-hmm. And and Jokic is not the kind of person that even if he's burning you, you're going to hate him for it. Or he, he doesn't talk. No. He doesn't make you. I mean, he doesn't embarrass right. you. He dabs you up and tells you did a good job. I mean, he's even said that if somebody did a good job blocking him or playing defense, he tells him at the end of the game to make it, you know, so he doesn't make any enemies. And that's a big deal in the NBA. I mean, this is a game that is, is substantially driven by passion and emotion. And you can see it. I mean, when we were losing and they started and the Clippers started mouthing off, that turned the entire series around because then the Nuggets were out for blood. And you just can't do that. So, and Jokic just, just, you know, he's such a vanilla guy. Nobody's going to hate on him for anything. So it, it he kind of diffuses that kind of, that kind of dislike. And you know, like you're right. Look at Dylan Brooks. He just made everybody want that team to lose, right? And they did. It is such a swing, such a swing from Memphis. Like just in a year, year and a half span to go from the team that everyone's like, oh, they're that scrappy team. They're kind of fun, you know. They got that young energy, and we really like them, and. To go from that to, um, I mean, it's not all Dylan Brooks. I don't want to say it's all Dylan Brooks. I think uh, John Moran has some, some responsibility there. Yeah, um, but it's a it's quite the. I mean, we do expand into that a little bit more. It is quite the. I don't want to say a fall. But I think for the Memphis Grizzlies, the first time in their trajectory that they have not taken a step forward. And I'm curious, you know, Peter, maybe if you want to chime in on this, how going forward, what they can do to kind of get back on track in where they're trying to go. Well, I mean, first of all, they need to get healthy. Um, I didn't know that Steven Adams was going to be out for the whole playoffs, but, you know, after his injury, they kind of waited for a while, hoping he could come back and they couldn't. So I expect he'll be back healthy again. You know, he's a big part of what they do. Um, It took him a long time to figure out sort of how to play without him. You know, they went on a long losing streak when he was out and then they finally turned things around again, but they were just too small for the Lakers. And they also just didn't have enough shooting. I mean, the games they won, Luke Kennard was really big for them you know, space in the floor. So, you know, Memphis just needs more shooting. They, uh, they remind me quite a bit of the, um, the like 10 years ago, Thunder team with Westbrook, Harden and Durant. I mean, outside of, out of, outside of Durant and Harden, that team just had no shooting. So it became like extremely easy to guard them, even though they were super athletic. And I think that's kind of the grizzliness problem is like, if they turn you over and get out and run, yeah, they can blow you out of the gym, but, the Lakers slowed the game down and uh, the Grizzlies half court offense is just, it's pretty bad for like a number two seed. So they really need to add a wing. Who's more dynamic. I mean, Bain, I really love Desmond Bain's game, seeing him in person too. Like the guy's just so smart. He doesn't really do anything crazy. He mostly just plays the game the right way. He, I mean, he honestly reminds me a lot of like pre-injury Gary Harris, the way he is just smart about attacking and taking good shots. Um, but they really just need a better wing. You know, OG Ananobi has been mentioned. Prices are going to be super high there. I don't know what they do, but they're going to have to make some sort of shake it up move, especially now that they said they're not bringing Brooks back. 
Um, I don't know exactly what the move is. Don't really care. I mean, I don't want Memphis to become better than us, but I think they all internally know that they can't just run it back. Yeah. I'm interested to see what they do just because it's uh, they were one of those teams that felt like, like on deck in some way, you know, kind of watching this Lakers Warriors series. I, it, it almost feels like a swan song, swan song of sorts for uh, kind of an era. And I say that and maybe, you know, next year the Lakers and Warriors are right back in the playoffs. I mean, so maybe this isn't so much of a transition as I'm thinking. But um, the, the the Grizzlies, I think, just looked like one of those teams that were going to um, step up into that upper echelon. So, yeah, I, I'm, I disagree. I'm not upset. I you disagree? I, yeah, when they were when they were having their big run early on, and I have I have Twitter proof of this, I was saying that they had a historically easy road. Um, um, run where they were just taking on teams that couldn't win anything. And I said, as soon as they start getting normal teams, they're going to crash. And sure enough, as soon as they start playing regular, healthy teams, they're, they just crashed. They've not, they're not as good. They're not nearly as good as a team as people thought they are. They had, they had the advantage of playing a bunch of injured teams, a bunch of really bad teams. And then as soon as they got against regular teams, they just didn't do well. I didn't think they're going to do very well in the, in the playoffs. And then losing, of course, losing Adams. That's that was a, a dagger in their heart, right there. Yeah, I think they've lost to that point meaningful amounts of talent, uh, both with Stephen Adams. I think this Dylan Brooks sort of flame out situation, uh, as well as like losing Kyle Anderson. I feel like Kyle Anderson was actually a big part of that team in terms of being the. He was almost like a discount Gallinari in a way that he like glued things together and, and allowed them to have, I'm not saying their half court offense was good before, but it wasn't as bad, I think, as it is now. Um, and just because just you have the lack of like secondary playmaking and ball handling and things like that. Um, and, and it's those sorts of misses, I think, from a personnel perspective, that I think I look, also look at Dallas as a team that, has had a high like projection and a ceiling that they could reach but at the same time because they made a lot of personnel decisions and had a lot of just outcomes that they just didn't get the most out of this player or that player they almost you know used up a lot of the resources and assets that they have and in an in a unfortunate way kind of shortened their window uh, I don't want to say closed it, but it doesn't look very okay. open right now. I think going forward that that you're going to see the Nuggets, the Suns, and Sacramento being the three stronger teams coming out of the West at least the next two or three years. No, no I, I have a lot of uh, – I, I think what the Kings have done this season, I think in particular, is like very replicable. Um, that De'Aaron Fox, I think – has shown a lot both to fans and I think to other NBA players even that he is one of those guys who is going to step up in the big moments and be there and be reliable and uh, just having I know I'm not going to say Sabonis is is uh, comparable to Jokic in terms of talent because I don't think it's actually that close but at the same time I think having that offensive hub 
I, I, it's just really valuable. It's really nice. Who's who's both willing to be the distributor, but also at the same time do a lot of the physical load bearing for that team, and uh, and just the general culture. I, I appreciate it. I like the beam. Yeah. You know, I think it's it's fun. I, and I, I'm not a Kings fan. I don't think I'm ever going to be a Kings fan, but uh, they've endeared me to them in a way that I think isn't, you know, kind of coming back to the Grizzlies isn't as toxic yeah. um, that they're just mostly just like happy to be there. And I think people, they're not poking any bears is what I'll say. <laughs> so do you have a, do we have a, a minute to talk about the superstar teams that. Yeah. That has happened. So what you have is this idea that if we get superstars, no matter who else we have, two great superstars are going to take us over the, over the, uh, the uh, chip line. And it's just not happening. And what's happened is, and since I'm old and I've seen this evolve, the, mm-hmm. the NBA was very much a team sport, and we everybody saw it as a team sport. And then to market the NBA, they started picking out these superstars and really pushing the superstars. And it worked. I mean, these personalities made lots of money. They brought in tons and tons of fans. And people focused on the superstars as if they were superhuman right? As if they alone could do things without realizing that, you know, Michael Jordan, as great as he was, would never have gotten anywhere without his, his role players and the, and the people that were helping out, without Scottie Pippen and, and uh, people like that. And, and what happened, I think, is NBA now has drank their own Kool-Aid. They believe that these superstars are so good that they can replace five or six other good players on your basketball team. And I don't, I cannot figure out how long it's going to take them to learn. That's not going to happen. You cannot get two superstars on a team and have scrubs and expect them to go anywhere. They're just not that, you know, they're not that impactful. You have to have a good team around you. Yeah. And I think that's especially true if you don't have, you know, it's why I think the heat were kind of unique in a way is that while they had the, um, you know, in that Heatles era, they had a superstar, not a super, you know, uh, superstar. Is Chris Bosch a superstar? I don't know. But they had a guy, while they did have, quote unquote, three stars, they had, A, a bunch of veterans who were willing to buy into their roles, but also a superstar who's willing to basically transition into being a role player whenever the need arises. And I think a lot of teams miss that and, and maybe even misvalue that uh, fans, teams in general, that because of just because a player is willing to um, have a smaller role, oh, well, they're not important or like they're not as good or they're not as valuable. And I, I think it's kind of coming to roost in that way that, that you're saying that it's the teams that are actually whole teams that I think are are going to be the most robust in, in getting to the finals and getting over those humps because it's the margins that oftentimes make the difference when you have, you know, lots of teams have a superstar. Lots of teams have uh, a couple of all-stars, but how many teams have that leadership, but also the sort of... Uh, Every car needs an engine, but you also need a transmission, and you need tires, yeah. and you need brakes, and you need the all Warriors these sorts are of exactly that kind of team, right? They have, and people focus so much on Curry, but we know that Curry can't take that team anywhere without his his team with him, and we've seen it before, right? 
If you have one superstar and a good team, you're going to win better than two superstars and a bunch of scrubs. Yeah. And I think for the Warriors, especially like even though Steph is a dominant player, he's a superstar. He's one of the best shooters of all time, if not the best shooter of all time. You know, it is imperative for them that the way Steph dominates also allows for simultaneous excellence from the other guys around him. That just because he's got 40 doesn't mean Clay can't also have 35. Just because they play that much of a a team style that they trust each other, that they're always looking for good shots and that for them, uh, even though Steph has his moments where he's like, yeah, I'm going to take this double covered fadeaway three-pointer because that's just what the situation calls for. There are lots of situations where they put faith in each other to find good looks and faith in each other to uh, make them when they produce and when they kick to kick around to each other. And um, the one thing I'll say is I'm interested to see how the Warriors go without Draymond. If, you know, hypothetically, we'll see what happens this year, but if the Warriors no longer have Raymond Green, how does that change their identity? Because he is that fulcrum piece. Or do you know, do they move on from Draymond Green at all? I think there is also like um a consideration of Jordan Poole as um who is Jordan Poole? Is he a star? Is he a role player? Is he just a chucker? You know, uh, Peter, and I'll kind of ask you this for when you think about the Warriors and you think about moving ahead to kind of close out their era, Draymond versus Jordan Poole. How do you see that in terms of who is most important? And if you were in their position, who would you be most interested in retaining long term? Mm, That's interesting because Poole is clearly way younger. But I don't think it's even close. I think Draymond's way more important. I mean, he's still arguably the best defender in the NBA. Jordan Poole has mostly shit the bed in these playoffs. Um, right. You know, he's still quick. He can get by his guy. He can get hot every now and then. But do the Warriors really need that? You know, if if the Warriors do move on from Draymond, I think it's going to be a very carefully thought out, like, who can we replace this guy with? Because you know he's got a player option so i'm sure there would be some collaboration there to make a trade so that they get something good back because if he just declines his option and walks they don't have they can't like then go sign somebody really good with with money you know they wouldn't have that salary slot so it would have to be like a really smart trade where they bring back like either they think ayton can like be better in their system or you know i don't know who else they would get they might want a, a like a stretch big because, you know, Looney's been so good for them and Looney's got a really good contract. So if they do move, if, if the marriage is over, you know, Draymond is kind of hinted at, you know, they're really going to have their work cut out for him to uh, to replace him because you're not going to replace his defense as good as he is. Um, he's kind of been, you know, huge for their culture and he's been a championship role player. So if you lose him, you know, whether you have Poole or not, like their offense is going to be good. I, I just think Jordan Poole is kind of like, he's overrated. Like I, I wouldn't even compare those two players. No, I would, I don't think they win without green. I he's been too critically important. If not the third, if not the second best player at the third on their team. I mostly agree. 
but we'll see. I mean, I think there's been, there's obviously like the interpersonal drama that they had going into the season. And I think in general, going into the season, people expected that like, okay, Draymond, you just punched a guy and we don't really like that. And this, that, and the third, and we're probably going to be gone. And, but yeah, to your point, I mean, Jordan Poole has kind of shot the bed this playoffs and. Although, you know, I don't know. On point something out, Draymond Green's podcast, when they were asking about the Jordan Poole miss at the end, mm-hmm. he said that that was the shot he should have taken, and that's the shot he would have wanted to take because he'd made 6 of 10 up until that point. So he wasn't upset at Poole at all for that that mystery pointer at the end. He thought that was the shot they should have taken. I just kind of feel agree? like Poole is like the guy that's like destined to score 25 points a game for a lottery team. Like he, it just seemed like he's going to be the face of the Charlotte Hornets in like two years or something. Yeah. Yeah. I really wish LaMelo Ball wasn't on the Hornets. It's like as much as like Jalen Green. (laughs) Um, Well, to kind of tie this back in, this conversation back in, maybe to the Nuggets somewhat. So. Gordon, I'm kind of curious what you think about this. So I have I have this take. I've had it for a while. I feel like Michael Porter is the second most talented nugget. Yeah, I agree. I think most people agree. No. I think most people agree with that. I mean, because you have Murray can well, let me let me go back. Murray is a much better passer and floor general than MPJ is. Yeah. Um, He's a guard. Before before this, he was a better defender but i i think i've switched on i think mpj is a better defender now that he's he's bought in better but as far as a shooter goes he's a sharpshooter i mean he can hit amazingly well if he can get open i mean part of the problem is murray can get himself open mpj has a little bit of harder time so i think mpj may be a better defender and he is definitely a better shooter pure shooter but murray is a better hooper right he can get in and, yeah. and make all these trick shots. It's hard. I mean, they're close. I think they're both. I think they're both all-star caliber when they're playing at their best. Problem is, MPJ's not getting enough looks. He's not getting the ball enough. And I think that's that's been said for a long time by a lot of people. And like, what I really like about Mike's game is both comes to his detriment that he is almost dependent on Jokic to let him be to optimize himself that they need to work together to get him open looks and that he's not this guy who can uh, just in isolation produce a high amount of points just in volume. But I also think because of that weakness, Mike takes advantage of having Jokic on the court a lot more readily. So I'm interested to see maybe just how that plays out, especially down the stretch of this series. And I think in series going forward, how much of that distribution changes, like how much more does Mike get involved? Is it something that they want to make a point of emphasis on or, you know, or is that just a change that might just come later? And keep in mind that this, this may also be keeping MPJ healthy, right? I mean, he is, we know he's prone to injury. And having his game depend on Jokic passing the ball while he's open and taking a shot protects him from what he would normally have to do, which is attack and 
the paint and, and going in and being much more physical. He doesn't have to do that now. So it may very well be protecting him physically, right? It's medically. That's true too. Yeah. I kind of hope that, that at some point they all kind of get to this optimization of each other, that there is some reality where Mike, Jamal, and Jokic can all cook together which is i know it's going to be difficult because you know the only one ball and, and they all have the play styles that they do but at the same time i just see such a high ceiling with this generation of nuggets if they do if they are able to tap into something of that nature is what i'll say if they can all kind of eat together at the same time I don't know how anybody guards that, let alone are gonna have, let alone. Y'all are going to have guys. to have a Michael Malone conversation at some point, right? Yes. <laughs> Not now, but some point. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, you're welcome to come back. I think that it, it's an interesting thing because, like Michael Malone, as long as he is winning and the Nuggets are winning, I think he's going to be here. I don't think they're going to abandon him for no reason. Um, but at the same time, I also, you know, look at Mike Budenholzer. I think he's a guy who has won, for example, the Bucks championship and has proven himself in a lot of ways as being a coach who's capable of doing that. But all it took was one meltdown. And um, all of a sudden, all of the criticisms that I think people overlooked over the years come back and then get brought to the forefront and then say, get thrown at his feet and say, well, you know, you've never done these certain things or you've never played this guy a certain amount or, you know, all that comes back. So I'm curious to see what happens with Malone in terms of, because I want him to do well. I would like him to be one of those all-time coaches that he's there for 20, 30, 40 years. And, you know, he learns, I think he's still a young coach. I'm I'm not saying he's a bad coach. And if he's yeah, not fired, that means we're doing very well, which is what I want. But I don't think – I think right. he's an average coach until he proves otherwise. But I think, I think a lot of people also feel or, or question, like, is he a perfect coach? And I think the answer is still no. And, and you know, everybody has, everybody has faults and flaws. It's just um, wondering, are, those, are the flaws going to come through at the wrong time? And I think that some people are like concerned about that, but I also think it's just one of those things we're going to have to see when we see. So, um, Peter, did you have any thoughts on, on, uh, on Malone, on Denver's sort of star situation or, or how we might carry that forward before we close out? No, I'm not going to let you get away with this guys. I like Michael (laughs) Porter Jr. More than anybody, but Okay. He literally got benched two games ago. Okay. He Malone closed with Bruce Brown over him. You can't tell me he's more important to the team than Jamal Murray. Like he's our main guard. He has to play. He's he's the second most important reason on the team behind Jokic that, that we're first. That important to the, the team that is wasn't different. That was the question. He said, well, who's a more skilled player? Right? Talented. Who was more important? Who was more talented? That was a different question. I don't think he's a more important player than Murray, but I think he's more talented. If you want to say that that Michael Porter is more talented than Jamal Murray, then you at least have to concede the fact that he does not get as much out of his talent as Jamal Murray does. I think that's absolutely true. I think Murray tries way harder. That makes the difference. There you go. See, I this is going to sound like a diss, 
but I don't mean it this far. I think Michael Porter's got a little bit of DeAndre Ayton in him. He's a little bit like he, he's he's not super duper physical. I mean, he he had a great game yesterday. He had double double. He had ten rebounds. He really impressed me on the glass. But you know, we can't gloss over what you said earlier, Gordon, about how I think Malone might be kind of saving him and not you know trying to play him heavy minutes because his back. You know, I, I do think that that's fair and that's like we need to keep him healthy more than anything. You know, you can't just grind him into the dirt. So if you want to say he's more talented than Jamal, it's like maybe, but the history factors in here, right? He's had so many scary injury stuff that he, unfortunately, he's just probably never going to quite realize that number one player in his class, you know, number one high school player billing because of how his careers went. And he's still, realizing it pretty well you know he's he's been a really good player for us but he's he's the clear number three and uh i just and think I also, that if you if you swap those roles i don't think it would work work well i also think that mpj has a lot more distance to improve than than murray does i don't know if he will that's fair i don't know if he'll be given the chance to but i think as far as pure talent goes it's he's he's incredibly talented and they and they saw that even when he was in high school but Jamal Murray has unbelievable passion and uh, and and a will to win that, for example, you know Michael Jordan has and LeBron has. These people that and I and and to be honest, I don't think Jokic has the same kind of really passionate will to win that that people like Murray have, and that makes a difference. I mean, that's a huge plus for Murray. Yeah. I agree. I'm. How do they optimize their bodies? I think is also important. Like obviously, Mike has his back issues. Jamal has his knee issues. Um, I think for Jamal, I've kind of given him a pass to this point, especially because of the injuries. As far as like his conditioning, for example, I have a limit with that. Like there, there will come a time where like I would say, okay, Jamal, I'm kind of done with you not being capable of. You know, just being cardio-wise, I think just keeping up and comparing to players, comparing to his contemporaries. Uh, for example, Devin Booker, I think, plays like a similar minutes load and maybe even has more of an offensive responsibility. And you compare them to just in terms of how they look like energy-wise down the stretch of these games. I think Devin Booker like looks pretty fresh, looks pretty spry, you know. And um, but you know, I, I give Jamal a lot of leeway there, and I, and I kind of look for you know, we talked a lot about over this year is jamal quote unquote back or not and i think for me i still look at next season as the point where i'm going to really feel like i feel comfortable judging like how back can he ever get just in sense of can he have an off season where he gets to work on his body and gets back into shape and maybe drops a couple pounds works on his cardio all those sorts of things um and then for mike I I also feel like with DeAndre there that the comparison is also that they need other guys to get them the ball. You know, where Jamal is both more important in that he is one of Denver's few point guards. Denver doesn't have any many point guards where you know we've seen with Jamal out with Michael out that Denver has had other forwards that have you know, been able to do an adequate job between Aaron Gordon, between guys like Jeff Green, between other, I, I think, uh, 
looking at like Christian Brown. And I think even, you know, you can talk about like, if you're looking for a new prospect, Peyton Watson is a guy who who plays the wing and Denver has had a lot of forwards just for that sort of like lead ball handler role. Um, Denver doesn't have any more, a second option there. I mean, Bruce, KCP, those guys can fill in, but I think they're all going to be, you know, everybody, I think on the team, maybe even outside of Jamal is very much dependent on Jokic to kind of be their setup man and, and play through him. Uh, and so. Wouldn't it be nice to have Monte I back? I do still. Sorry. Wouldn't it be nice to have Monte back? Yeah, it would be nice to have just some other player who can be that offensive um, fulcrum. You know, the guy that every that everything runs through that manages the game appropriately, um, because I think that in and of itself is a unique skill set that isn't exactly expressed, um, especially by the modern player who is a lot more focused, especially from the guard spot, being a scorer and, and being a scorer first and foremost, uh, where the three-pointer is so important and all these things are so important and to really get paid and be recognized as a star you got to be able to put up 40 points 50 points that sort of thing um so i think that would be really nice i think colin gillespie is maybe that guy i, I don't know what you gordon you feel how you feel about him but i think i imagine he seems like to project as that sort of next floor general for denver yeah but we're we'll gonna see. we're gonna really miss bruce brown i'll tell you that yeah, I hope he comes back. Uh, but I imagine someone might want to pay him. So he's, he's I, worth too much now, I think. Yeah, I'm not going to hold my breath, but you never know what can happen. That's that's all I'll say. If we win a chip, uh, Ray, maybe he'll come back. I, just I, mm-hmm. to get to get a little bit more on the same page here. I I think we need to make a like try to understand each other better at least make this concession like saying mpj is more talented than jamal murray i don't think that's a <laughs> mm-hmm. knock on jamal murray i think that's more of like a no. knock on michael porter because because if you're saying that the simple fix is mike needs more of an opportunity he needs more shots there's a reason they haven't done that it's because they don't trust him as much so jamal's done it he's done it before he's done it in the playoffs this year he's done it in the playoffs previously if you simply say Mike hasn't had the opportunity, I'd point to plenty of times in the regular season where either Jokic or Murray is out and Mike's going to get plenty of shots and we're like, is he ever going to score 40 and he can't do it? Well, I think there's a difference between like, he's not a player who, you know, talking about like getting him more shots. It's not just handing him the ball and saying, go off. I think that's a very different and not his game. Because he can't do it. In a similar way that, but here's what I would also say. Jamal doesn't operate as well as as uh, one of the things I really love about Steph Curry, for example, is that Steph is able to dominate whether he's on ball or off ball. Jamal really struggles as an off ball player, I think, in, in terms of his part of this is his cardio, part of this is his body, but his consistency about movement, his consistency about making quick decisions. And I think so. So it's to say that I think expanding and it's why I feel like they can work together is that they don't all cook in the same way. 
that that more more opportunities for for Mike, I don't think has to come at the expense necessarily of Jamal or the expense necessarily of Yogic that if they tap into it the right way and find the right balance, they should all be able to operate together and let not necessarily let defenses dictate what they do, but I think in a similar way that Jokic has always had this balance, that he knows exactly when, okay, you're pressing me with this much attention. Okay, well, I can find these and that, that outlet versus, okay, you're going to leave me open or give me one-on-one opportunities. I'm going to be able to fit my game into whatever the defense is giving me. I, I really appreciate Mike's ability to fit into whatever the defense is giving him in a way that I think Jamal lacks. But to your point, Jamal is a lot better at creating his own thing. So the, so those are like some of its values is like what's more He's important to do. More. Um, so, so Peter, let me give you let me give you an old good. let me give you an old head comparison. Dan Marino was a more talented quarterback. Elway was a better quarterback, right? I mean, there's a there's a difference between the talent of a basketball player and how important they are, and even how good they are on the floor. I think I think MPJ was born with better talent. He has more talent. I don't think he's going to maximize it the way the, the way Murray does his talent. And there's also sure. like the I, I like that comparison. rebounding defense. I give Mike. Like night in, night out, I think Mike rebounds and sure. Well, and I also think, to be fair, guys, when you think about the construct of a team and like team building, it's not just talent and skill. If it's comparable, it's oftentimes timeline, right? And so Jamal was here before Mike, so it was already kind of Jokic and Murray, right? Mike comes in. His rookie year, he doesn't play. They make the playoffs for the first round, too. And they start to work him in. Unless he just hits on his career from the jump, you know, never gets hurt. Like, if he never would have got hurt the year Murray plays, maybe he passes him. Maybe. We'll never know. But I think it's more like you have your your main guy, Jokic, two-time MVP, right? Nobody, nobody the team's close to as good as him. We, we totally admit that. Even though Jokic mm-hmm. likes to say, oh, Jamal's our best player. Okay, cool. I mean, that's that's he's a nice guy, but it's like let's be real. And then Jamal, he's he's just been there longer. He's more he's more of the fabric of the team, right? And so they've asked MPJ in the past, like, do you think this is a big three? And he was basically like, you know, he was hesitant to say that a few years ago when they asked him because he's like he didn't feel like he was there yet, which was fair. Then they asked him again this year, and he's like, oh, we have a big twelve. So he still doesn't view himself on their level as like a peer you know even though i don't think he lacks for confidence i just think he's never been crowned like by the team as like hey you're one of our top guys even though they want him to get really good yeah and then some of that is just like that personal dynamic um hmm. here's what i would say and here's the like there's if there's one thing that i 
is probably like the deciding factor to me. It's, I just think Mike has a very high level of emotional maturity. And some of that is like what he's been through as a player. Um, but I think that is just really valuable in a basketball context. And I think it aligns a little bit more with Jokic. Because like, yeah, I don't think Mike has like the fire that Jamal has. And I don't think Jokic has the fire that Jamal has. But the, the like even keelness um the never too high never too low like aspect of their games i think yoke and mike align a lot more in that way and i think um i guess i just love that mike doesn't dribble you know he just doesn't have that risk that's right fair. now maybe and in if different had different personalities right asked to i think be, that's healthy mm-hmm yeah, and you kind of have different personalities. They should all be able to cook. Like, is to get back to this is like I think they can all put up thirty yeah. points in a game, and they that's have like the ideal version of the Nuggets. Yeah, and they have some jobs. Sure. Um, so we should well, probably he close out here. Twelve in that scenario. <laughs> Sorry, I mean Jokic. You, I mean, yeah, he the wants, fact that Jokic you know, could be happy 12. with ten points. Yeah, the fact that you can be happy with 12 points like leans in this even more. I think that Yoke would be happy if even more so if Mike put up 40 and Jamal put up 40 and he didn't have to do a whole lot. Like I think they're yeah. all really happy to do that. So that's like the ideal version of Denver that I look for. I think it's what is going to be most likely to win them a championship. Uh, as much as I love the nights when like one of them goes off and that's cool, uh, I, I think sometimes it's come at the cost of the others. And so like finding that way to have a little bit more balance, I think is going to make them more resilient as a team where I think especially when teams muck it up, Denver tends to struggle is that sometimes they get bogged down in the process, kind of suffers and, and they fall a little bit out of that rhythm so like just finding that again and, and staying in that and being resilient in that way i think is going to take them very far anyway so uh unless you guys have something you want to add anything you want to discuss further i think we can close out here if we try for the hour but you know I think this was a good conversation anyway <laughs> i really appreciate uh gordon i think you appreciate you coming on it's been a pleasure Oh, uh, if I'm ever in Canada, I would be happy to come by and, and, and say hi. And of course, if you're ever in Denver, definitely give me a shout. Uh, if okay. you are watching this to the end, you're definitely listening. Uh, we appreciate you. And you can find me online at uh, Raven Hackshaw, Peter, Buckinson's 88, the podcast itself at Four Corner Pod. And uh, yeah, I do we uh, any predictions? For game four, for us of the series, no, I think no. we'll win it. We'll no. win the next two. Five games. I'm. Here's what I'll say: If we win the I next game, we hold Devin Booker under 45 points. <laughs> <laughs> That's that would have won it for us, right? If, they, if we kept we'll him to only 75 points, we would have won that game. Yeah, 
Um, I think if they win the next game, I do believe five is like, and it's like what I said last week is like five is more likely than seven. It's like it's in that way. We can go back to Denver up three one. Feel really good about that. If it has to, if it can, we come back for you know two two, I think it becomes like, I think Denver still wins, uh, especially because they get two games at home. It's just. You know, it's a lot more as long as the Lakers and Warriors beat the hell out of each other, I'll be happy. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually not super worried about either of those teams. Not to say that they can't lose to those teams, just that they won't talking about like cumulative (laughs) talent, yeah, and ability. I, I believe in Denver to outmatch whatever they can put up but it would be interesting and i think both would be interesting like i hate the lakers uh i would love to see denver put them into the dirt and but also you, guys, you know what would be poetic mm-hmm. is if we ended the warriors dynasty because that warriors dynasty started by them beating us in the playoff as underdogs yes i was going to bring right. that up is that so we like need it to would open be... and close the warriors dynasty it would be really nice. It would feel good. <laughs> and maybe even mark something for Denver in a similar light. I think uh, Denver, you know, even not outside of this playoffs, going into the future, I think Denver has a high ceiling and okay. a lot to look forward to. So They're only gonna get thanks better. for listening. And uh, as always, go Nuggets, and we'll uh, see you next week. Thanks. Bye.